What's up, everyone? Yes, it is I, your host, Natalie Morrison, and you might be thinking, wasn't this called Swim Masters? Well, yes, it was, and you're definitely in the right place. We decided that we wanted to give the podcast a bit of a makeover, and we're so proud to introduce to you Revoicing the Future, a Women of NAM podcast. Don't worry, it's still the same content, still the same hosts. We just wanted to take this to the next level. And we're excited that you're joining us on this fantastic journey. The episode that you're currently listening to was recorded before the name change. And I just wanted to let you know that you are in the right spot. So keep on listening. Be sure to subscribe and stay tuned for all new episodes of Revoicing the Future, a Women of NAM podcast coming soon. Welcome to Swim Masters, a podcast dedicated to help connect, grow, and support women in the music products industry. I am your host, Natalie Morrison. The Smart Women in Music Fund was established in 2018 by Robin Walenta, Dee Dee Hyde, and Crystal Morris to expand diversity, inclusion, and support for women in the music product space. Twice a month, I will sit down and host virtual conversations with various women across our industry to help foster mentorship and growth. Now, without further ado, Let's dive in. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Swim Masters. I'm your host, Natalie Morrison, and I'm back with Stephanie Lamond. What's up? I'm here. <laughs> we are literally recording this right after we finished our interview for the episode today, and we are pumped and in our feels just so excited about this one. Yeah, thought why not just jump into it and speak from the heart about what you are in for because it's just fantastic. Who did we just talk to, Natalie? We talked to the iconic, incredible, wonderful Iris and Ron Manis from Alfred Music. So Iris's husband, Morty's father, founded Alfred, right? Yes, Iris's mom was working at Alfred, and that's how she met Morty, and they've had just this lifetime, career-spanning, beautiful partnership running one of the largest music publishing companies in the business. They're, they're an, she is one of the first pioneering trailblazer women in the industry, and she is also just an angel. And now Ron, her son, has carried the torch and is now you know still still carrying on their legacy with Alfred. So... Ugh, like, where do we even begin with how fabulous it was to talk to them? <laughs> They're also just amazing. I don't even want to give, I don't even want to give anything away because I think the episode is just going to speak on its own, but it's a treat and I'm so honored to know them. I think that's, that's, that's what I'm going to say is I'm, it, I'm truly honored to know them. They're such incredible supporters of swim and the work that the or- that this organization does and they have such a deep love for music education and making sure that our students and our kids have access to music and learning instruments and it was a truly wonderful experience to be able to talk with them about their lives in this industry totally i think i think it's just you summed it up so well. It's just so, it's so nice to know that they exist. 
and have existed. And and I think the industry that we love and and are so familiar with is that way, partly because the manises are in it. So thank you. Thank you to them and to the whole Alfred family. And we're just, yeah, we're so grateful we were able to, to talk to them. And I'm so excited for you all to hear their story. Yeah. So with that said, I don't want to tease this conversation any longer than we <laughs> already have. I bit up. Anyway, without further ado, here is Iris and Ron. Hi, Ron and Iris. Thank you so much for joining Swim Masters. We are so excited to have you on the podcast. And we're very excited to be here. Yeah, it's awesome. We're really excited. Thanks for having us. First, I just wanted to thank both of you for your tremendous support for the SWIM organization and the mission. Um, and we're really grateful to have you guys as members. Awesome. <laughs> very happy, really. Yeah, it's great. We've been we're big fans of uh what swim is doing and being a part of it. And it just, you know, it makes perfect sense to have, uh, you know, the best, the best of the best, uh, get more training and education and being more, uh, inclusive in our industry. And so anything we can do to help. Yeah, absolutely. So Iris, I would love to start with you and start at the beginning. Can you tell our listeners the story of your journey to Alfred music and how you and Morty met? Surely. Actually, Morty and I met at Alfred. My father passed away when I was 13, and my mother, Rose, who was a stay-at-home mom, had to go out and find a job to help support my brother and myself. She had no bookkeeping experience, but she got a job at Alfred Music, hired by the owner, Sam Manis. I started working on Saturdays. I was about, I don't know, 14, 15 and did mostly typing or odd work. And it turns out Sam had a son named Morty, who would also come in on Saturdays. And voila, a friendship developed. That's beautiful. What were the early years like when you and Morty took the reins at Alfred? Back in those days, your catalog was only accordion. So how did you two support each other while you were working hard to get the company on its feet? Very difficult. It's true. We had only the Frasini accordion solos and the Palmer Hughes accordion course. Unfortunately, the accordion course was not paying all the bills. There were some times when we got to the end of the week, gosh, we, sh we weren't even sure we were going to make payroll. Morty would pace around waiting for the mail to arrive, and then we would gather the mail together and he would rub the envelopes. This is so true. It's, it sounds like a joke, but it's true. He would rub the envelopes for luck, hoping for enough checks coming in to get us to the next week. Oy, we knew it was time to make a change. So in the mid-50s, 1950s, the music scene was changing. And that was our big break. With hot new stars like Elvis Presley and Chuck Berry and others becoming big names and the guitar being featured prominently, Morty said he had an idea and he got together with a friend and another author, Alfred Doberge, and they started writing Alfred's Basic Guitar Method. Thank God it became very successful 
and we were on our way. Wow. That's, that's really interesting to hear that the Alfred's basic guitar book was what kind of changed your company, especially in that time with rock and roll being such a popular genre. Yeah, it was, it was actually amazing. Uh, uh, I have, we have some old footage of Morty and Alfred de Berge sitting around those the offices on, um, in 45th street. Yeah, right. 140, 145 West 45th street, Manhattan. Yeah. And, uh, and so we've got like old, uh, 16 millimeter footage of them, uh, sitting with the guitar. I still have that guitar. Uh, it was a guild guitar, a guild wow. acoustic guitar and, uh, and still plays great. Um, and yeah, and they, they just started like applying, you know, all the educational, skills they had to to the guitar and and trying to figure out you know the same sort of way they would introduce music on the accordion uh and and have it be educational and then apply it to this new instrument and morty was uh, a sort of a beginning guitarist and so it was great working you know alfred de Berge was a, a you know much more serious musician and then Morty would say, hey, but, you know, it's hard to do this with my fingers. Is there another way we can do it? And, you know, let's avoid using the little, you know, the pinky. And, you know, they together, they sort of came across this magical method of uh, teaching with Alfred's basic guitar. It's been, you know, a huge hit. We've obviously made a lot of revisions to it over the years. Um, with but, Ron. With right. Ron. Yeah, yeah, I became co-author of it in the early 90s when I joined the company and said, you know, OK, we got to make some changes uh, to bring it up to, to current, but it's, you know, it, that book is still to this day is one of our best selling books. And um, it, you know, structurally it still sort of teaches in the same manner uh, that it originally did in the mid fifties. That's awesome. Especially now with the guitar boom due to the pandemic, Yeah, everyone's trying to learn how to play. <laughs> Right, right. It's great. It's a great instrument because it's so handy and yet it sounds really full and great. So, yeah, uh, yeah. The guitar has been a, a really important part of our history <laughs> and continues to be. So, Iris, you were one of the earliest women pioneers in the music products industry. How have you seen the role of women evolve in our industry over over your career in it? Well, mostly in those years, early years, it was an a man's world. But there were some very memorable smart women. Right. I'm afraid I'm going to leave out, I'm going to leave out a lot of names, but I'm going to give you three that I can remember clearly. And I remember, of course, Bernice Ash from Sam Ash Music, who just passed away yeah. at, uh, maybe a month ago. She was, the, she was the print buyer and was very helpful to the publishers with all her suggestions. She had a great eye for what worked and what products were needed. And Morty would spend hours with her soaking up the knowledge. I was a little concerned with the hours spent together, but it worked out. And then there was Dorothy Hutchinson, who was the owner of Samson Ayers Music in Spokane, Washington. She was a strong advocate for music education and was also one of the charter members of what is now the Retail Print Music Dealers Association. They actually named their Lifetime Achievement Award, which is their highest award, after her. Wow. The Dorothy. The amazing Madeline Crouch, who has become a good friend, 
worked as a salesperson for Whittle Music in Dallas, and she became RPMDA's executive director in 1989. She now runs her own business, Madeline Crouch and Associates, which works with many associations, including the National Association of School Music Dealers. And there are some great young, compared to me, everyone is young, women leading the charge now that I love and look forward to watching them grow. Folks like Gail Beacock, Beacock Music, Kimberly Deverell, San Diego Music Studio, Tracy Leanman, Musical Innovations, Myrna Sisler, Middle Sea Music, Marsha Stearns, Bookmark Music, Lori Supini, Sensini Music, Robin Walenta, West Music. Oh, I'm not going to lie. I got a little emotional hearing all those names because it's just, it's so powerful and it makes me so happy just because all of these women are so incredible with everything that they're doing for the industry. So I did get a little emotional, I'm not going to lie. Well, thank you. I, You know, sometimes I think during this terrible time we've all been suffering through with the pandemic, uh, you have to be very brave to have your stores open and then close and then open and then close. And you have to come up with ways to make a living. Yeah. And I'm very proud of most of these women. They've all come up with a w one way or another to survive. And it's so interesting too, because, and I've said this a bunch of times, there's no roadmap for what we're going through. So we just kind of have to figure it out as we go. That's so true. It's, uh, it, it, I feel so sorry for the, for the stores and the children, but that's another time. Yeah. So what was it like to have such a beautiful life and career spanning relationship? In what ways did you and Morty complement each other running the business together? Oh, this is bringing back very many happy memories for me. So thank you. We did, we did have a good life. You know, even the hard times are memorable. Morty was the music man, and I was the Jack, or should I say Jill, of all trades. We both loved the parts we played. Morty was a great editor. He really was a great editor and made sure every book he worked on was the very best. I was the people person. I'd check in on the staff be the office eyes and ears to see what was really going on and make sure our staff was happy. Morty felt they spent more times in the office per day than they did at home, and he wanted to make it as happy a place as could be. And they worked hard. They've always been, we've been lucky with the people we've hired. I would also coordinate our travel and make sure we had meetings with the right people. The magical thing about our industry is all the great people and friends we made, both retailers, authors, and competitors. We had some of the best in the business. Thank you for them. I, I have to say, um, I actually, and Ron, you'll remember this, I actually interned at Alfred five years ago. 
And what you said about the organization. I knew you looked familiar. <laughs> I really did. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah. We do it, uh, before, right before the podcast, I brought uh, up your picture on, oh the, on the screen so Iris could, could see it. She's like, I know her. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you do. <laughs> but I, I, I'm sorry. I forgot. That's right. No, don't apologize. It, I, I can't even believe it was five years ago. But I do have to say, with what you just mentioned earlier about um, wanting Alfred to feel like a home for the employees, for me, I was like, I've grown up in New York and New Jersey my entire life. And I was spending a semester out in California, and I couldn't have picked a better place to intern because it truly did feel like a home away from home for me. So thank you for making that um, experience in the office feel like a home for your employees. Thank you very much. Thank you. Of course. And Ron, what has it been like to grow up with your parents running Alfred, another child of the music business? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it it is interesting. It's it's so funny when when you grow up, you think all your experiences are so uniquely yours, and uh, and then you talk to other people as you you know as you've gone through this, and and you know you meet other kids, and they it's the story is so similar. Uh, I wish there was, you know, sort of more of a self-help group in, you know, our teenage years. Um, <laughs> you know, the, our, our parents would work so hard all the time and, you know, they would get home from work and all they would do is talk about work. Um, the the brothers uh, would talk at, you know, the only way we're really going to get their attention is if we go into the business. Uh, the employees were really their family and, um and it really was a, a thing to, you know, to try and get attention uh, away from the business was hard. Uh, I mean, we did do uh, vacations and trips and stuff, but, you know, it was always there. The, you know, the family business uh, and, you know, we'd be in in the back seat sitting with, uh, you know, as they're taking bankers to the train station and, oh my gosh. you know, try, <laughs> having to be quiet and behave while my dad's, you know, selling uh the concepts and so yeah so it was it was it was interesting when uh steven and i were in the business you know it was it was like yeah we finally got their attention uh and and it you know it sort of made dinners more interesting too because we all actually could talk about the same things and and uh and you know it was just always that always just seemed natural and good <laughs> it sounds kind of strange <laughs> when you say it aloud but um like we need a self-help group, but, uh, you know, we loved it. We, we love what we do. It's, it's amazing because the space that Alfred is in and that we've always been in is just about music education. It isn't about right. print books. It isn't about anything else other than how can we help music education, uh, and be, uh, you know, an addition to, and make things better and easier. Um, so that sort of, you know, it's it's easy to kind of feel passionate and excited about working on that uh, on your you know weekends and evenings, and so yeah, that's been our life is really is, is about how we, how do we make music education more fun, keep people playing longer, uh, and help them experience the joy of making music. I love it, Ron. You also originally started with the recording engineering focus. What was it about? publishing that hooked you to make the move to Alfred after you tried it? 
So I love, <laughs> I love music. It, it, you know, um, it took a while for me to find the right instrument. Uh, and I'm not sure. I, I think really the right instrument for me is, you know, the recording studio. Cause you know, we started, I started on trombone, but my arm wasn't long enough. And, uh, and so then we have photos up in the office with me, uh, in my early trombone days. And then they switched me to <laughs> trumpet. And I didn't like that. And then I played clarinet for two years and, you know, the clarinet's great. Uh, and then I went to piano and nothing really worked. And, you know, having your dad teach you piano is, is brutal. Um, I think for him <laughs> as much as me. Oh, yeah. My mom was like, I'm not, because she was a piano teacher. And she's like, I'm not teaching you the piano. I'm getting you a teacher because you're going to hate me. <laughs> right, right. It's. It, I, I think they their expectations are way too high. <laughs> and so yes. uh, they gave up on me. And that was great. Uh, and it, when I was in uh, seventh grade, I took at uh, public school at Emerson Junior High. There was a class, a group guitar uh, teaching, a group teaching, a group guitar class. I can't speak all of a sudden. That was good. And uh, it was actually not using a book that uh, we published. It was Jerry Snyder's uh, Basic uh, Instructor. And I learned to play guitar in that class. Uh, uh, that got me started. And then we went to private instruction after that. Of course, using Alfred's basic guitar and other books, but um, uh, that's that's where I I started to finally feel like okay, I found something that I like and that I fit in. Uh, it kept me in school. It kept me excited to go to school, which now I realize you know how important that is in the music education uh, you know system is to to having having some reason to actually show up at school and want to attend right. is really powerful. And it, it got me out of trouble because, you know, I was at the uh, point uh, we just moved to LA. I was overwhelmed by the size of the school. I was not uh, behaving well. And, you know, it's hard to do this interview with my mom sitting next to I me, was just gonna say, but I was hanging out with the wrong crowd. And, uh, <laughs> and so, um, you know, finding the guitar really gave me uh, a place where I fit in and it gave me self-esteem and uh, and things really changed. And and so that was a big part of the change. And so then I uh, I wasn't, you know, I love guitar. I love playing guitar. I'm just not that good. And there's so many great uh, musicians. And I loved arranging and arrangements and, and listening to, you know, House Why songs sound the way they, they do. Uh, so I got really excited about the recording studios in one of my bands. And we went into this like uh, eight track recordings, reel to reel recording studio. And that was just the best day. And I thought this is that's what I want to do. So I started looking for colleges in 1981 um, uh, to that would have a program where I could learn more about recording in San Francisco State. Uh, John Barsotti ran the uh, audio department there. Uh, and inside the Bachelor of Arts uh, broadcasting, in the broadcasting, you could get a sort of an audio and radio emphasis in your broadcasting Bachelor of Arts. And I, that's what I did. And so I went to school there for like six years <laughs> and got a degree uh, and then came back and worked in a recording studio in L.A., um, which is, as you know, was uh, it it had because it was originally uh Marvin Gaye's studio and then it Ooh. changed hands um 
and it was called Kren when I worked there, which was a combination of Chris and Ken, the two owners who had bought the recording studio in the mid 80s. And so I worked nice. at Kren for like three years, uh, worked on uh, a lot of other people's music. And I realized at that point um, that the hours were really long <laughs> and really hard. <laughs> and there's, uh, it's not as much fun working on other people's music that you maybe don't like. <laughs> so it got kind of rough working on music of people that I didn't like. Um, uh, and I thought, wow, yeah, you don't always get to work on the Beatles or, you know, amazing things. You have to work on whatever comes in the door. And that got tough. Um, I, I made some friends in the recording world, uh, that were really good at it. Uh, Roger Nichols, uh, became a friend, uh, who was recording there and he had done, uh, Steely Dan and John Denver and a million other things. And he's a brilliant, brilliant guy. And so I learned a lot about the recording process from him and, and how to, you know, how he did things. And we'd go out to dinner. He was one of the rare, like, engineers who would come in and, and invite you to dinner and started picking his brain. And he was explaining to me, you know, it's really hard. You have no medical. It's, you know, it is a tough road. You really got to want to do it. And you're only as good as your last album. And, and you know, all of this started to, like, play on my brain. I'm never going to be as good as Roger Nichols and he, you know, isn't guaranteed, um, a, you know, a steady career of work. What am I going to do? Uh, so that's when, um, I, uh, and I was making $4 and 50 cents an hour, which was minimum wage in the late eighties. Uh, I'd reached out, I quit. Uh, I went to my bosses and said, you know, I, I need to get a raise. I need to get like some sort of career path here. If I'm going to be working at the studio that like, guarantees me some sort of uh steady like work and they were not interested in that at all <laughs> and i <laughs> i uh i was just really at a crossroads i called all my friends who well, I had a friend who was working at the village and he was like you know you're making 450 an hour like can i are they taking applications i'm like oh my gosh this is good <laughs> This, I have a good, I have one of the better jobs. Uh, so that's when uh, I just came home. I was depressed. My dad said, come work at Alfred for six months. Uh, it'll put some money in your pocket and give you some self-confidence while you buy time to figure out what you want to do with your life. And I'm still, it's 31 years later, and I'm still trying to figure out what it is that <laughs> I'm going to do after <laughs> Alfred. Uh, I, I, I started in the sales department and started talking to the retailers and it was such a great job. These people are the salt of the earth. It was just like all these yeah. people became my friends and they're lifelong friends. And I still talk to, you know, all the time. Uh, I love talking, uh, going to conventions and meeting up with the retailers. And um, that's when I realized this is, you know, this is a, a calling beyond um, I can still be involved in music. And yet I'm working with really nice people, helping the world be a better place. I can live with this. Amazing. See, sometimes you don't search for it. It just kind of happens. Yeah. <laughs> and I still, and what's great is now I have the home recording studio where I can actually do what I want and, you know, and work on the music I like uh, and work it with friends and, you know, pick and choose. <laughs> yeah. I know. And the amazing advances in like, you know, home uh, technology for like, you know, being able to record in your home. You know, I wouldn't have been able to do this in the mid 80s. Right. Um, 
when you needed to have, you know, a two inch machine that weighed, you know, a ton. <laughs> so Alfred is about to celebrate its centennial, which is an incredible milestone. And Ron, you also just received a Believe in Music Week award. So congratulations. But within these it's past awesome. 100 years, the music publishing industry has changed drastically. Iris, what do you hope to see for Alfred's future and the future of the music publishing industry over the next 100 years? Well, I think the key, the key thing is to keep fighting for music, for music in the schools and the support for music advocacy. Every child deserves the right to have access to a quality music education. The industry is always evolving, and I am excited to see all the new ways people are consuming music. Alfred has always been at the forefront of the changes, and with smart music, it continues to lead. Love it. I can't believe it's 100 years, too. Yeah, Make sure that everybody knows the 100 years is not my age. <laughs> <It's> Noted. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, so not yet. 1922. It's it's uh it's really crazy cuz um and and you know finding um over the last uh I don't know, last 15 years or so, I I started looking into like our history to try and find more information about it. Sam who started Alfred in 1922, like had a stroke in the late 40s, early 50s. Yeah, and, in the middle of the 40s. Yeah, and so Morty was thrown in, uh, you know, right out of college. Uh, Morty... Uh, the day he graduated. The day he graduated, he started at Alfred. He, wow. you know, he fought in uh, World War II as in the Air Force uh, at the very end. Uh, never went overseas, but, um, you know, that enabled him actually to get a degree uh, at Brooklyn, Brooklyn College. No, no. CCNY. Oh yes, CCNY. Right. I, City what am I? College of New York. Right, 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 right. He is from Brooklyn. Hey. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, so he graduated from there with a business degree and and was thrown into Alfred pretty much the minute he graduated, and uh, and then wow. had the stroke, and so there was no real transfer of information. Uh, it was a small company. There weren't a lot of people there, so. Uh, we sort of sketched in uh, through common sense, and uh, I started digging into uh, all these old filing cabinets and sort of learning where the name Alfred came from, and you know <laughs> where how this all happened. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so we've sort of been sort of figuring it out. But yeah, 1922 is the earliest we could find anything. It was originally Manus Music in 1922, and. In 20, 1928 and 29 and 30, he started negotiating with um, Alfred Haas, H-A-A-S-E. Uh, and it was Alfred and Company was his company. And they had uh, copyrights to pop songs, um, WC Handy Catalog, uh, which um, was, you know, had some great blues, uh, St. Louis blues and things like that. So when he... Uh, acquired that in the in right at the start of the depression um he decided i guess to combine the names of manis music and alfred and company and make it alfred music and we think uh, part of the reason he liked alfred was because it was the beginning of the alphabet so right. his books were in the front of That's the right. yeah. 
That's I swear that's true. What a cool story. That's true. I know when I, when we were writing the questions for today, I was doing some digging and it said 1922 and I was like, what year are we in? And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so, I know. It's happening. I, I, growing up, I never thought, uh, you know, that we'd get there. So it was, it's pretty strange to be at uh, the, you know, we're counting down the months till the hundredth anniversary. Wow. Pretty, pretty nuts. Amazing. Well, final questions. Oh, my gosh. I know. Are there any hopes you have for the next generation coming into our industry now? And if so, what advice might you offer them? You know, I think the key thing, and if, you know, I went back and and talked to myself and gave myself advice, uh, what I found to be the most interesting is to do things that do stuff that's rewarding that like, you know, working for us, working in music education has been, you know, such a feel good story. Um, it, it's, it's really enjoyable to kind of give back, um, and be able to do things that, you know, aren't just about serving, uh, getting rich. Um, you know, I, 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 I obviously I, I didn't stay with being a recording engineer, uh, not only because it wasn't, you know, wasn't uh, financially rewarding, but it was also, you know, spiritually not rewarding for me to work on other people's music. But uh, and so that's, you know, it, it's I guess life is a balance in a way. But if you can do something that you really care about, that you really enjoy, that you're passionate for, it makes life so much more enjoyable because, you know, it's tough. It's really hard working with people and working uh, in business. Um, And so if you can at least enjoy what you do, it makes it a little bit less, uh, you know, tiresome. We always had, I always had this kind of mentality um, when I was running Alfred that we only wanted to work with people we liked um, because life is too short. It's, you know, it's going to be, there's going to be really tough times even working with people you like. So if you're working with people you don't like to start off with, it's going to make that, uh, you know, that much harder. And life's too short. Like you actually, all of a sudden you realized, you know, I'm now uh, uh, 57, going to be 58 soon. And, you know, it's just flies by. And then all of a sudden you start thinking like, oh, wow, there's all these things I wanted to do. I wonder if at some point I should start doing those things uh, before I'm too old to enjoy them and do them and, you know, be kick-ass. So, uh, my advice is do, you know, do stuff that you really like doing and not be so focused on just financial reward as the only goal to working, um, doing stuff that is rewarding to you. It feels so good. I mean, after you, you give back and you do something, you know, if you do something charitable or if you go to Washington and be a, are a part of the, you know, NAMS advocacy fly-in, you get so much out of giving back you feel great for doing it. It's, you know, it sounds uh, hokey, but it is so true. And so every time you do that, you start getting greedy to like give more and be more helpful. And, and, and that stuff's really real. And I think people, um, you know, if get a taste for it, uh, you'll find your life to be a a lot more fun. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Go ahead, Iris. I I was going to say, there's very little I can add to that. It makes me proud to have him (laughs) as a son. And and it brought tears to my eyes. Always be kind. That's what I think. Always do the right thing or what you feel is the right thing. It isn't always easy, but it's very rewarding. Absolutely. 
And in times like these, I think the right thing. Yeah. Be kind. Right. You heard it here. That's <laughs> perfect. Well, she's good. Ron and Iris, thank you so much for joining the podcast and telling your story and just being an inspiration to everyone. Um, you are true heroes in this industry and we couldn't thank you for all that you've done. So. Wow. That's lovely. Oh, that's nice. That was <laughs> lovely. Thank you so much. Of course. It's <laughs> awesome. And, 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 you know, and thank you for doing this. I mean, it's, it's great to see, um, you know, the swim masters you have on your site, uh, you know, all those names and to capture that and to have these conversations where you're talking to like, you know, these people who are, uh, you know, some are, are really legendary at this point. Um, and to be able to capture their thoughts in conversation, I think that's really awesome. It's, you know, what Dan Del Fiorentino does with NAM and the NAM oral history is, is amazing. Yeah. And then what you're doing is sort of a different slice on that uh, in a way. And it's, uh, you know, and it's also focusing, putting a spotlight on women and the challenges and, and encouragement. I mean, I think when uh, other people see these and see all these stories, it makes them feel like, okay, this is, you know, I'm welcome here. Yeah. And uh, music education has been more welcoming to women, you know, historically, I think that other areas of the music industry, um, you know, when you look at when Iris was going through some of the women and she was talking about that, we were uh, looking uh, over the industry over these years. There are so many like, you know, great uh, pillars of smart women, uh, especially in music education and so many great composers and authors, too. So what you're doing is, is great. And I, I am sure it is having a huge impact on uh, other women to like see this and go, you know what, this is a career for me. And the, there's uh, a space for me and a, and a possible future that, you know, this is an industry that is very welcoming and encouraging. And so thank you for doing uh, that. It's awesome. Thank you for the kind words. And yeah, Stephanie and I, we, this is such a passion project for the two of us. And we're just so honored to be able to just, give a space for the women in our industry to really tell their story. So thank you for your words. It means it truly does mean a lot. Thank Thanks. you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of swim masters. Don't forget to follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn to stay up to date on all new things swim. We'd love it if you'd share and leave us a review. If you would like to learn more, please visit www.smartwomeninmusic.org. This episode was co-produced and edited by Stephanie Lamond and Natalie Morrison. See you next time.